to another episode of Not So High Fidelity. This is your host, Adam Danger, or co-host, more likely. Uh, once again, joined with me in my R musical expedition is none other than Tessa MTV. Tessa, how you doing? Well, hello there, Adam. I'm doing well uh, on this fine Tuesday afternoon. How are you doing today? Is today really Tuesday? I think so. I mean, the days all kind of run together. It's almost like every day is exactly the same at this point, right? Right. It reminds me of that uh, Travis Pickle, the days roll along with regularity. <laughs> They're all the same. Uh, and it's kind of weird for me because normally I work on Tuesdays, but uh, I took the day off. So I, I don't know. Like, it's it's been Saturday night for a couple of days now. But other than that, I'm doing well. I'm alive. I'm feeling good. I'm going on my walks. So, uh, you know, just, just hanging in there. How about yourself? Uh, yeah, I mean, I still continue to live the dream, and uh, there's no complaints, no complaints. Um, so we're doing something a little different today, right, Adam? We've got another guest with us. Oh, actually, we do. Actually, we do. We were going to talk about a topic that we feel very strongly about, but we felt that we wouldn't do the topic justice unless we brought in a resident expert in Johnny Wolf. Johnny, how are you doing? Good, good, good. How y'all doing? I don't know if I'm a resident expert. I may be <laughs> the resident expert because I'm the oldest, probably. You're the elder. You two. I'm the elder. <laughs> the kind of the elder one I still have. I haven't died yet and passed it to y'all. But yeah, no, not at all. Not at all. I, For the listeners who don't know, our friend, Johnny Wolf. John is, is a person who has exquisite taste, and that uh, Tess, MTV, and I, we've spent years just hanging out. And a lot of this show is really born out of the, the nights that we spent just hanging out, talking about music, talking about movies, talking about culture. You know, you would find us in the back table of a dimly lit bar, just going back and forth and talking and recommending songs and pontificating, as it were. And uh, when it comes to today's topic, which is, get, wait for it, Prince, we felt, well, you know, we got to bring John on to, to talk and to really lend some insight as he's wont to do uh, and have a little fun. So yeah. I'm very and excited. I, yeah, I'm excited about it, too. And I should point out that when we brought this topic up, I don't think any of us realized that we would be talking about this on the fourth anniversary of his death. So how timely is that? That's weird. That's true. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. It's almost like it was meant to be, huh? A real synchronicity. Yeah. <laughs> that that is that's strange. So, yeah. I mean, so let's just get into it. Let's not uh, let's not gild the lily here. Talking about Prince, and I'll, what I'll do is I'll go first. I want to talk since I'm the resident millennial, right? A lot of my uh, perspective and insight is is going to be just skewed to when, you know, I was was born and kind of listening to music and understanding things. And so when the topic of what does Prince mean to me, I kind of go back to some of my earliest memories. And I would have, when I have memories about rock and roll, about music, music videos, and I'd say in the early 90s, when you're six or seven years old, uh, I really remember the only thing I really knew about Prince was that he was no longer Prince. And he <laughs> was the artist formerly known as Prince. He had a, a symbol that looked like a combination of like the male symbol, the female symbol, but also like a guitar. And as a kid, you don't know what that means. You have no context. You've got nothing to compare it against. You just know that this guy was once called Prince and your parents go, well, I liked it when he was called Prince. And throughout the 90s, he was the artist formerly known as Prince. So even at a young age, even as a kid, you're just trying to piece it together. This person is already an enigmatic figure and you don't know uh you just know that he's interesting and, and intriguing and it just uh you know kind of maybe sparking your imagination at, at such a young age so 
you know, being growing up and knowing that he was the artist formerly known as Prince. And you'd hear some songs, but, you know, nothing compared to his heyday in the 80s. Mm. And as as I, you know, grew up, being in high school, something I, I just, in fact, showed my wife was uh, the Dave Chappelle sketch of Charlie Murphy remembers uh, <laughs> Prince, right? And, again, not having a whole lot of history with Prince, knowing a couple of songs and maybe seeing a random video on MTV2, uh, the story about, you know, Prince and Charlie Murphy and then Prince being an amazing basketball player. You're just like, again, layers of the onion. The mystery continues. But that's all we knew is that he was just like a weird figure. Uh, now we know that that uh, he played basketball against Charlie Murphy and like schooled him. And he thought, damn, this is this is wild stuff. But I'd say as I got older and really started to listen to music, and took the time to go back and listen to records and go back to listen to a back catalog. Uh, that's when I truly understood, or I wouldn't even say un- truly understood. I started, I'm always in a constant state of starting to understand and, and see just more of the brilliance of this man's music and what he was doing and, and what he um, was was accomplishing. So and that's a very rewarding that's a very rewarding journey as a as someone who likes to listen to music and listens to any kinds of music. You're like, wow, this guy can do almost anything and no two songs sound alike. So, I mean, that's kind of the perspective that I, I approach things from now is it's almost like just looking backwards and then drawing the conclusions and seeing where, you know, a guy like D'Angelo uh, could, oh man, he's really just doing a Prince impersonation. That that one song, like, I'll do for you. <laughs> You know, I thought in 1999, I thought, man, that is the dopest song. I'm going to whenever I start dating girls, like I'm going to put that song on the car and just start, you know, kind of snapping my fingers and like doing my little thing. But uh, did it I'm work? Sure sub- yeah, well, did it know, work? It sure did. You know, it, it didn't work all the time, but some of the time was good enough. Uh, but, you know, you just you grow up listening to that and someone tells you like, well, yeah, you should listen to the real thing. Like, check this mm-hmm. out. It takes kind of like. Your older either uncles or you know uh, uh, relatives or friends are like, whoa, take it easy, like check this thing out, and it'll you know give more context to what you're listening to. But you know I, that's that's what I really appreciate. You know, what about you, Tessa? Um, well, for me, Prince has kind of always been a presence in my life. He's not somebody that I ever recall having this specific moment when I discovered him. He was just someone that I was kind of always aware of, you know, and he, he, for me, he was always on the radio. He was always on TV. And I can remember as a kid watching MTV and seeing all those videos when doves cry, purple rain, let's go crazy. And thinking that he wasn't quite like other pop stars at that time in the early eighties, people like Madonna, Michael Jackson, people like that. And I really think he was the embodiment of his own lyric, that famous lyric. I'm not a woman. I'm not a man. I'm not, I'm something that you'll never understand, you know? And I think he really embodied that. Um, So even as a five or six year old kid, like I was at the time, I even had the sense to realize that there was something very unique about him. And there's this really one specific thing that I, you know, I really loved about him. And it's, it was that almost constant sly smirk he always had on Mm, his face. Um, It's like, he knew that he was the shit and he wanted you to know it too, but he was going to surprise you with it. You know, like, I know just you wait, I'm about to blow your ever loving mind and you're not going to know what hit you. And I kind of think that's really what, people found appealing about him, you know, myself included, I think we're, we were so fascinated by him because he had this whole mysterious vibe about him, just like you mentioned, Adam. And I think whenever I would see him in interviews or on some award show or whatever, he never really seemed to have a whole lot to say. He would just kind of get to the point, you know, short and sweet, no details. He just wanted to get out there and play his music and let it speak for itself. And I think that really added to the mysterious factor about him because you never really knew what this guy was thinking. But I think that was kind of the genius thing about him, though. He clearly had so many 
innovative thoughts and ideas going on in his mind, but he wasn't going to necessarily let you in on the secret until he perfected it and he was ready to put it out there um, into the world. Um, I mean, here's this guy. He's all of what was he, 5'2", five, 5'3", five, something like that? Yeah. <laughs> short, short little guy. Um, and he exuded so much, something so much larger than life. He just had this brain that was working all the time. He was super creative and he was always creating something. And I think it could probably be said that he, um, he was one of those individuals that helped pioneer that Minneapolis sound, you know, that we all know and love. And that was uh, prominent in the eighties, um, that funky pop R&B, some synths thrown there. And you didn't just hear it from Prince. You heard it from bands like Morris Day in the Time or Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. And mm-hmm. um, if he wasn't actively working out songs in his mind, he was in the studio recording all of those things that he heard in his head. And I think we all know that he pretty much played every instrument on the, under the sun, every instrument known to mankind. Um, with, I think, his guitar playing to be the most fantastic talent that he had. And his catalog of music was just super massive. I think he had something like 39, 40 studio albums. But in addition to that were singles that didn't make any albums, songs that he wrote and produced for other people and just a shitload of songs that have never been released before. Just literally thousands of songs came out of this guy's genius mind. And so when I think about Prince, I think about a lot of my favorite songs and a couple of those being Raspberry Beret, Let's Go Crazy, um, 1999, Pop Life definitely is one of them. Um, Another one um, that some people might not know uh, or be aware of because it wasn't necessarily one of his uh, radio-friendly songs. I don't think it was a single, um, but it's sometimes uh, sometimes it snows in April. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I could yeah. I could list so many, but those would probably be my top ones. And there's no real particular reason why I like the songs. There's no science behind it, but. I think some of these songs have specific memories associated with them for me. Um, like Raspberry Beret, for instance, I remember watching the video as a kid and, you know, just being super excited whenever it came on because it always put this huge smile on my face. You know, Prince has this blue suit on with, with clouds all over it and the revolutioner behind him playing and, and looking totally cool. And then you see all of these people dancing in their, their Prince outfits in this huge dance club in the sky. And I just remember being like, I want to go there. I want to be part of that video. And they just looked like they were having so much fun and having the times of their life. And it was just a, a fun poppy song. And I just love it to this day. Every time I hear that song, I get so excited. It's just like hearing it for the first time over and over again. And um, 1999 is is the other song that I have uh, memories of that I um, associate a specific event with. And I'm sure a lot of people could probably say this, but I'll, I'll never forget hearing it at a club in Austin at midnight on New Year's Eve, 1998. It was ah. about to turn 1999. And I'll tell you what, I mean, the excitement of everybody in that club was something like I've never felt before. And it wasn't necessarily because we were moving into the hope of a new year, but it was really because we were finally going to get to hear 1999 when it actually turned 1999. Um, And just, you know, when the DJ played it, you know, right at the right at the mark, right at 12. It was just so fun. It was so exciting. And everybody had this huge smile on their face and was so excited. I mean, it was such a blast. And I really, you know, I always think about that moment whenever I hear that song. Um, and really, I just love to see any, any live Prince performance. Um, I think the three of us can agree that he was just this phenomenal live performer. There's 
he had no plan. There was no choreography. Whatever he felt like doing, he did it. And it was always fantastic. Um, do either of you remember yeah, the teams no. that played in the uh, 2007 Super Bowl? In the songs that he played at the no like the a, football teams. Do you remember who played? Oh, yeah, uh, they played the the Colts and the Bears, and the Colts beat the Bears. Oh, you're right. Peyton Manning Super Bowl. Uh, good well, call, John. Okay, well, I give that to y'all because y'all are the sports <laughs> fans. But That's you know what? Funny. I don't. I don't. Remember, <laughs> I don't remember who played in the Super Bowl. Yeah, it was I, in. Uh, it was in Miami too. It was in. Yeah. Is in Miami. It was in Dolphin Stadium, <laughs> and it started. And it started. It started raining, which will go down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really all I remember. I only remember that phenomenal Super Bowl performance, probably the best Super Bowl halftime show ever. I mean, like you said, John, I mean, Purple Rain in the actual rain. How perfect of a moment was that? Yeah, and, that's some that's extra stuff. All right, yeah. Right. And then, you know, we also can't forget the 2004 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you know, when he he was also inducted that year. Um, but he was also part of a group that played tribute to George Harrison. They all played uh, When My oh, Guitar so. Gently Weeps. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. holy shit. I think he ascended into another realm when he played that solo at the end of the song. I mean... I feel like he he became one with that guitar that he was playing and he just blew everyone away and you could see you could see it on the faces of everybody that was in that group Tom Petty um everybody else that was in that group you could see it on their face and I think all of my Facebook friends hate me because I have a tendency to share that video <laughs> at least every 6 months to remind everybody <laughs> of just you know the genius that I'm was good it was <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's almost like it's almost like catching you caught lightning in a bottle, right? Like this was yeah. uh, this was something that, uh, you know, Tom Petty, Danny Harrison and uh, my man from ELO, uh, you know, said, OK, we're going to play this. Jefflin, thank you. I just kind of come up and said, OK, we're going to play this. And then I'm pretty sure they're like, oh, Prince, do you want to come in? And he's probably like, sure. You know, and then like he just comes in. And I think what's great about that performance, too, is not only is he kind of just like you're saying, Tessa, uh, he's exalting himself. He's he's just getting to a, a higher state of being. I just love, doesn't he just like throw the guitar off and he just walks off like, boom, that's yeah. it. This is over. This whole enshrinement is done. Uh, but it was something to, uh, you know, I think, John, you, you and I have talked about this before, that famous Eric Clapton quote where somebody asks him, you know, what's it like being the greatest guitarist alive? And he goes, I don't know. You'd have to ask Prince. And I think yeah. if you ever have any questions about that, watch that performance. Yeah, exactly. I think I think people don't or didn't necessarily realize just how talented of a guitar player he was. And that is very representative of everything that he could do and more with a guitar. Um, so, Johnny Wolf, you're probably the most through and through Prince fan here. What does the purple one mean to you? Um, well, you know, for me, being the elder one, so to speak, I, you know, <laughs> I was about 10 and uh, he, he came on American Bandstand uh, somewhere around December, January, 79, 80. And uh, there, there he was, this guy had a flowing mane of hair, um, had these gold pants on, like shimmering pants and this shirt, which was more like a blouse. Uh, that was half open up top, and 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 they just and him and the band they just just, just jam, and uh, I remember that I just remember hearing him sing and and how he always sang. He, you know, he it was kind of this funky tune, this this groove, and he just you know obviously in this certain notes, his falsetto voice at times, and mm -hmm. uh, and he just it just was amazing. It was just something different, and so. You know, from there on, I mean, I, he he was interviewed by Dick Clark, and I think you you alluded to this earlier when he did when he did interviews, he really didn't he really didn't say much. There wasn't much to say. Even, yeah. And even when they even when he asked him, he says, uh, "Do you really play all these instruments?" And he said, mm, in kind of in, in in that same kind of smirk that you mm. that, that you alluded to as well, it was like mm, maybe. 
And <laughs> and he says, well, well, how many? How, and Dick said, well, how many instruments do you play? And he said, mm. and he says thousands. He says thousands, <laughs> thousands. And he says, yeah. So, but and and going forward, if you followed his career, you you and if you ever saw him in concert, you would see him. He would just go around and he would he would go around and play every instrument. And uh, you know, he did play every instrument. He played a lot of instruments. Uh, you know, it's kind of self-taught. Um, so he was just, just a musical genius. And then on top of that, I mean, coming forward into that, um, you know, I think from 80, by 83, he was always this, by, by 83, he was already this huge, huge thing. He was a hit. And so growing up in the 80s, him and, him and Michael Jackson, they had this kind of, a, you know, where Michael Jackson was the king of pop for sure. Um, and, and, and they both wrote songs. But Prince was a different animal. I mean, he could dance, he wrote songs, but he could also play instruments. And, and mm-hmm. taking nothing, nothing away from Michael, they're both in their own right. They're, they're just icons. Um, so they always kind of had this kind of like little rivalry. And, you, and every now and then, well, who's better, Michael Jackson? Well, they were just, they're two different type of entities. Um, they both could sing, both could write, both had hit songs, et cetera. Um, but no one ever could deny that from an artist, from an artist standpoint, from a music musician standpoint, there was no comparison because uh, Mike didn't really play instruments. Um, mm-hmm. He was more of an entertainer performer, um, and and uh, Prince, who's kind of like the whole package. Yeah, you know, he he would play everything, um, and then you know each in their own right. I mean, just talking, keeping with Prince, um, I think he made certain people feel a certain way in the sense that his dress. And and that continued on through throughout his whole career, the way he dressed. Um, some could say in a certain way, he, he kind of eased the whole metrosexual thing from the beginning to where it became 20 years later okay. Because, you know, if you if you tried to dress like Prince or mimic him, then it would be easily at the time in the early 80s to be considered, oh, you're gay. Who dresses like yeah. that? There's no way you would. Who, who dresses like that except a gay man? So... You know, alluding to the fact where you said, I'm, you know, I'm not this, I'm not, the, I'm not a man, I'm not your lover, I'm not, I'm not a woman, I'm not a man, I'm, I'm me. And you can't, you can't, you can't understand, you can't understand me. And it's true, you couldn't understand him. I think he even, he even said in an interview in something in the 2000s, no one understands my music except me, which I, I can understand that, you know, because he lived in song. He literally lived in song. He he dreamed song. I mean, he was song. So, mm-hmm. um, and and but he was him. Ultimately, uh, I there was there was a story um, where he rented a a a house in L.A. from a former NBA player, uh, Carlos Boozer was his name. He played for the Utah oh, yeah, Jazz. Yeah, and and he 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 rents it from him. And I've heard the story before from Boozer where he was talking about him himself. He says, "Yeah," he says, "So they." I go over there and he's like completely changed my house. Basically <laughs> ripped it, gutted it. He made a salon in there. He made a fountain. And I went over there. He said, I was so mad. I was like, what do you, he says, I can't believe it. He says, Carlos, relax. I'm going to put it back. I'm going to put it back just the way it was. I just have to have it like this. Cause I have to have it be me. This is where I'm living. This is me. And he, and, he, and later on he says, sure enough. He he put he he wrote a check, put everything back the way I had it, and like like he had never been there. You know, he was just renting it, but he but he says it just was him. He had to be him, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so, I mean, so th- there is a, there was always this, this mysterious to him. There was there was the smirk. There was the eyes. I think uh, Jamie Fox even made a joke one time. like, don't let him don't don't look into those don't stare at those <laughs> eyes. Don't let him look into those eyes long enough. Otherwise, you know, you'll you'll do stuff that you'll be like, hey, can't talk about it. You know, yeah. <laughs> you look at somebody else like you stared into them eyes, right? Yeah, yeah, I got you. I understand so, that. So quick thing about the eyes. I was thinking about um, the Bangles video, uh, Walk Like an Egyptian. And, you know, when they focus on Susanna's, Susanna Hoff's eyes on that one particular moment and she's looking from side to side. I was wondering, sure. did she get that move from Prince? That's what he does. She might have. She might have. I mean, I think there was a story I wrote about her how, you know, when the whole uh, Manic Monday 
I think there was a story that, that they tried to ask, like, so what Derek is as well? You know, one day, we, one weekend, we're just jamming with him in this place and blah, blah, blah. And so did anything happen? And it was kind of like, it, was, it would be the same eyes and smirk. You know, yeah. like maybe, maybe, yeah, sure. You know, so yeah. I mean, he, I'm sure she picked up things from him as well as, as, well as the song. No doubt. You know, I mean, but I'm sure I'm sure he had a lot of experiences like that because, you know, he, he loved playing. Not only did he love playing, but and, and as he moved on, you could tell he, he loved playing with other people. He, he was an artist. So if you could play and you knew how to play, he'd want to play with you. Right. Play with you. I want to make music with you. I'm making my own music. I'm giving music away, mm-hmm. you know. And so and he and he and that was the other thing. He exuded uh, sexuality. That was the other thing. You know, it was like this. Was there was mysterious, but there was always this sexualness to him. As long as as he was just dressed, sharp dressed, as what well. like even to this years later, there's no one. When you think of, if you were to think of anybody, like who could wear assless chaps? There's no one <laughs> in the world who could pull off wearing assless chaps to an event, except him. And yeah, like, I mean, who they would could do that? they could try, but they could try, but like, and, but but it was like normal. Like it was like, oh, he wore assless chaps. Oh, that's Prince. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, it looks good. You know, everybody else is like, no, 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 you're not wearing asses chaps. But he, he could do that. And 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 in in the 80s, his songs, you know, you're, you're talking about like when Purple, when uh, the album hit Purple Rain and obviously the movie, but but just the album itself. Um, you know, so you're thinking like 83, 84. And then you're hearing certain things like uh, uh, computer. Like so one of for for. Take a step back. Purple Rain itself is probably one of my favorite albums, if not my favorite album. But it's just because that's an album like there's it flows very easily. And certain songs, it's almost like telling a story. They just roll right into another. So when you so when I first heard like beginning with Computer Blues, and then, and he talks about you know when it starts off with Wendy, you know yes Lisa, is the water ready? You, you know yes. Lisa, shall we begin? I'm like, wow, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> like, this is, this is like, no, really, this is like, 80, like 83, 84, you know, I mean, 1984 when it, was, when it came out. I mean, you're like, this is not normal. This is just very edgy, very sexual. And then, and then the next song that comes up is Darling Nikki. And that's like, you know, I knew a girl named Nikki, you know, met her in a hotel, masturbating with a magazine. <laughs> She, she took me to a cat like just i mean wow just off the charts you know and it, and it was a great song flowed at the end of that song it, it's his it's his trademark yell that that yell that he does that you can't do that you he goes a few octaves up and 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 then obviously the the, the following songs are like when dubs cry um and it all flows are a baby i'm a star and then Purple Rain ends out that album. Anyway, so, I mean, when you hear that album, you're like, oh, my God, this is just, I could, I could listen to this thing, you know. And then he, he begins the album with, you know, Let's Go Crazy. That, that's how he starts, you know, which is like to, to hype you up, you know, you know. Dearly Beloved. The Elevator's not going to take it. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you know, they're literally beloved. Yeah, exactly. And, and he's talking about things, you know, things still, you know. That were doctors in LA kind of transforming people, but you know, anyway, getting, getting, you know, getting back to, to him, um, you know, so when, when I heard that, you know, and then he just kind of kept going even till like, you know, and then there was a little bit, I mean, but still he had always exuded that sexuality, like even on, on uh, Raspberry Beret and uh, coming forward. And then somewhere around again, like the early 1990, 1991. When he came out with Diamonds and Pearls, yeah. I mean, you had Cream and Get Off. You're like, oh, my God. This is like... The dirtiest so song ever. Time, <laughs> now at this time, I'm in college. And I'm like, oh, my God. This is just this is just so him. This is amazing stuff, as usual. It's just great stuff. And and like I said, even in 1984... So remember, we're, we're starting to change getting out. You know, hopefully things are changing. We're, we're trying to progress as a, as a society. You know, but you, you you still had, and he kept on going because I think it was sometime around in 1985. Y'all are, you you all remember Tipper Gore? Well, yeah, oh, yes. yeah. Well, she was he was at the top of her. She had a list called the Filthy Fifteen, where she was like on this 
this hunt on this agenda, which is like, you know, pressuring the record industry to censor itself because I think the story was is she caught her daughter listening. She actually caught her daughter listening to Darling Nikki, her yeah. like eleven year old daughter. So she threw mm-hmm. a fit. And so like she only listening to it though? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> was she only listening to it? I see, hope so. Right. So well if you're the daughter of Al Gore, I mean you're probably pretty boring anyway. <laughs> right. So, you know, and and so, you know, when you so and I don't nobody even had to tell anybody, but like when you tell a kid, especially at that time. And it could have been any any other artist because there was other artists, right? I think uh, um, it wasn't it wasn't quite right. It was uh, the other D. the other Snyder. guy, D. Snyder, D. Snyder, yes. Twisted Sister, yeah. On the top of the he came out. He was very vocal about it. But anyway, all these things, you know. But Prince was at the top of the list uh, along with uh, I think because remember Prince and Vanity, Vanity had something going on at the at the, at the time. Um, I think with the I think her song was called Strap On something strap on i don't know I, I remember it here and then she remember also he was involved with sheena easton as well so mm-hmm. i mean there there was a there was a, there was another you know kind of sexualness sexual innuendo I like that one song uh, sugar walls like everyone, sugar walls. everyone says like sugar oh, what a walls terrible she- song i like no. it it's, it's actually really really cool no yeah so he did so he did that song too for her he did that song she sang but sugar walls that was another song so um so again, coming, you know, you know, the eighties just blew up. I mean, he came onto the scene, you know, he, he had his own dynamic. He had his, he wore whatever he wanted. He was who he was. And then, you know, coming into the nineties, again, I, he, his, his sexuality stayed with him, his songs. And then, and then, and then somewhere around the mid nineties, he, he changed because, you know, obviously he, he, he changed from Prince to, to being the symbol. And he wrote, when he wrote slave on his face, um, mm-hmm. I think it was around 95, 96. And, you know, and, and I'm, you know, not unlike other performers who get used by the music industry and, and taken, you know, you could, you could see that, you know, I mean, uh, I've, I've heard Pat Benatar talk about it before. Uh, basically, you know, had to, she had to fight all her life and music injury, music industry, even to the today, you know, you know, they'll, they'll bring you in, they'll, they'll suck you up and they'll, they'll kind of, you know, spit you out. So you have to be careful. Um, but in the end, he, he, he remained who he was and he took over his own life. And I think, uh, you know, coming forward, like you said, in, in the two thousands, um, um, he changed a little bit his music, music, musicology around, I think 2004, somewhere. Yeah. I remember that he, gave, he gave, he gave that CD away, he gave it away. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, that was really funky. It was very different. Not like his older stuff. Um, really funky, but but more of him too, because you know, like like you said, he, he. I've seen videos of him where he played. He would be with blues players. He'd be playing blues, gospel, you, you name it. Because there's there's that other side to him where he told the line, where he was this sexual, completely sexual drugs. Well, drugs in the end, we can talk about that. But but very sexual. And then there's this other side where very there's a religious side to him. You know, yes. and, and obviously mm-hmm. that's. That stayed with him all through his life. Even even in song, um, let's go crazy. That's what he's talking about. The elevator is the devil, you know. And it's just like, let we're not going to let the elevator take us down. Oh no! Right. And that's symbolic, basically, of, of the devil that's, itself. So. That's funny. That it's funny that you say that because we were talking about like diamonds and pearls and cream. I, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, there's no real. I can't explain it, but I really like songs like Thieves in the Temple and Seven sure. and uh, and Diamonds and Pearls and uh, pink cashmere but when you go back to songs like these in the temple you know there is that religious imagery almost like egyptian and like uh the pharaohs and and the israelites right. you know he uses a lot of that and i feel like you know it was there earlier but maybe he kind of expresses it more into the 90s into the 2000s but there is that strong spiritual side which i'm, I'm glad you touched on because yeah i was thinking to myself like you know favorite prince song but for whatever reason i couldn't stop thinking about thieves in the temple which is kind of a a weird song. It's like a weird uh, mid-career song, but it touches on all of those those aspects. Well, see, even even like uh, let's go back to like you know like nineteen what like eighty seven. Um, so you know, Tessa Tessa mentioned her songs. Like one of my favorite songs because I still I still think it hold 
that stands true to the test of time today is sign of the times. Okay. Mm -hmm. So sign of the times, he's talking about drugs. He's talking about some guy in, in Paris, in France, losing the life to drugs. He's talking about a hurricane. He's talking about, you know, different things that they, they, that are still kind of true. The drug, actually the drugs may have changed today, but you know, it was a different drug back then, perhaps a choice, but it still holds true till today, you know? So these things, and we, we just had a hurricane, hurricane Harvey. So, I mean, the, these things still hold true today, but one of the songs on there, um, going back to your point, um, Adam is, is there's a song called the cross on that album. And, it, mm. and it's, and it's, it's called, it's, it's a very kind of almost a gospel, more and more like more, more religious song. You know, he talks about, there was a cross uh, in, in, in the song, there's a cross made for the son at Calvary, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it talks about um, the nails being put through his, his, his hands and feet, et cetera. And then he talks about angels in the song. And then uh, he talks about God. And so it, it's kind of a very, um, you know, it's a good song as far as the lyrics, but the music itself. And, it's, and you'll, you'll find yourself listening to it like, oh, this is actually a good song. But it's more really a, a gospel song, if you will. And so, it, it, again, this is in 87. So we're tying the same things to where you can see that um, that portion of her where he was very like, I have this kind of duality where the duality is always the the portion of me that is is the sex and the, the drugs or or whatever and how I'm feeling and giving into love and and love gave into sex and music and we were one etc and I I'm I'm creating from there but there's this also there's also other portion of how we grew up and and there's this you know obviously this religious side to us you know uh, that, like the know, uh, and, traditional part of him, like the traditional part of how he grew up, you know, and later on, you know, being, uh, you know, um, you know, Jehovah Witness. So, so for the long, so after a while, um, you couldn't even find it, but I, I, I still have the uh, CD that the triple, it was the triple CD, um, which had the B sides on it, but it's the only CD I know of that I still have that has, and it's, it's basically, um, it, it's a, it's up there with sign of times, but it's erotic city. And I uh, love dancing to erotic city and listening to it. But if you listen to it, it's, it's just very, very groovy. You dance to, I mean, it's, it's almost like you're making love to the song on a dance floor. Cause really, mm-hmm. if you have someone, um, but he wouldn't, but he would not sing that song after a certain time period because he, he had basically, I'm like, I, I left that, I left that portion behind. I've, I've, I've moved on. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm no longer kind of, I'm no longer about that anymore. I mean, I may, there may be moments there and here, but, it's, but I'm not the old prince that I am now, um, today. So, yeah. yeah. Well, definitely. Well, I think, I think we really kind of covered our, you know, introspective and, and perspective on, on prince here. One of the things I do want to bring up and, and just with the two of you is, is you know the impact of prints on our culture and i like for instance i think that you can draw a line between how prince cultivated his career he became a brand he became one of the first people that was i am a brand i understand what i am and i understand the the music and the media that i put out whether it's music videos whether it's movies uh he was one of the first kind of early adapters to the internet he realized that he could deliver music and this is in the mid 90s this is what i had a compact Rosario, where you had a Dell and it was a dial-up internet but he realized like I can get to the fans and give them the music that they want you know if they for a for a small fee so he was already thinking so far ahead but I that being said I feel like you can draw a line between Prince and say someone like LeBron James now where LeBron James is so savvy uh, think you know say what you will about being a basketball player what you think of him but he's a very very savvy individual he understands that he can parlay his basketball career and his celebrity into other ventures, whether it's TV shows, online shows, his own production company. He understands it. And that's all LeBron James. Like that's entirely him. And, and you know that he has his fingers in these pies. Uh, but I think you, you have to go back to someone like Prince, and like but he was doing it. And it maybe was, you know, uh, 30 some odd years ago, but he was not only making records for other people, but, just so savvy throughout the years to say, okay, no, I, 
I can do this. I can adapt this new technology and bring it to the people that want it and that my fans and I could be more in touch with them and I could be more of myself and not have to deal with the rigmarole of a, of a label or all kinds of things. So in a way, him fighting with Warner Brothers and changing his name to the symbol of writing Slave on his face, he was emancipating himself from those traditional constrictions of, of being an artist and you know becoming this, he was this brand and I think he appreciated it and he never took it lightly that I am Prince. There's no one else like me. There's no one else that can that can really uh, imitate what I'm doing here. But I am a brand. Now, any you know, two-bit celebrity that's on TikTok or something is their own <laughs> brand, right? Like it's it's silly. It's gotten to the point of obnoxiousness. But now, I yeah, and and I and and I agree with you because I think he felt like he could be more in control of what he was putting out there. It wasn't. It wasn't up to the record company, you know, what was going to be put out there. Right. It was it was by the hand of Prince, what he wanted you to hear. Um, but I think, he, I think he kind of, like, flip-flopped a little bit on the internet at the end there. I could be remembering this wrong, but I feel like, yes, at the very beginning of, you know, the internet and, and people were starting to use it in, in the mid to late 90s, he saw that as an avenue of putting things out. But I feel like I remember reading something where he began to um, have some reservations about that. I don't know if you guys recall. Well, like a lot of his videos, like he wouldn't have them on YouTube, right? Like, you you know, you couldn't find any Prince yeah. music on YouTube. And there's this famous story that, you know, he does this great rendition of Creep by Radiohead mm -hmm. and he's playing the song and somebody, you know, it was at a Lollapalooza or Coachella or I think it's probably Coachella and it's on there and it's great and then Prince is like, no, take it down. Like, I don't want that. And they talk to um, Tom York, right? And he's like, I, it may not have been Tom York, maybe Johnny Greenwood, but he was like, well, it's our song. Like, he has no say. He's playing our song. That's yeah. on there, then put it up there. And I think that that's, you know, he did have some reservations. But if it wasn't him, like he wasn't going to get the money if his music is freely on YouTube, right? Like if it's on there, if it's not Prince, uh, you know, it doesn't have his kind of control over it. I can see where he'd be a little touchy about it. But I think initially, you know, when people were still dialing up, uh, he was like, yeah, I'm still in control of all of this. Like I have the domain, so to speak, uh, mm -hmm. here in this Internet realm. Uh, but, yeah, I get what you're saying, too, Tess, where it's like the more we become connected on the world wide web through the internet and all kinds of like videos and stuff come out the more you lose right like you you lose more and more control over your your yeah. music and and your interviews and stuff mm -hmm. so uh, so no tessa's right i mean he did he did it was, it was somewhere late like he he i don't know if he he tried and it, it he didn't it, he never got quite got to grasp it or so to speak but he did kind of I don't want to say rebel, but he basically said, you know, like the the internet is is dead or completely over or something like that. Um, where he he kind of shied away from it, and I don't know if it was because you know he couldn't uh, he he didn't quite grasp how to handle social media and the internet, but he did kind of start shying away from it. Um, I mean, I think he did he did sign a he signed a deal with a, a subscription deal later on uh, with someone. Was it title? That, yes, uh, that's yeah. it. That's it. It was title. It was Jay. -Z. In fact, Jay Z's mm -hmm. title. So, um, yeah, that's it. He did. So, I think he, you know, like, I think he even said. If I remember him saying something about MTV. Like, you know, the internet is over. Just like MTV used to be good, but it's outdated or something of that nature. Um, but in in essence, you know, um, I, I don't think he ever got it. But I mean, at the same time. If, if you liked him and you knew he was, you didn't stop listening to him. I think, I think with other bands, um, but I think with him, especially with him, as long as you're a person or as long as you're a great musician like that and you're coming out with good music or music in general, you know, and you play your music and you write your music, and I think you're always going to have a fighting chance. Whereas, you know, everybody else going, coming forward, the music has changed, um, I'm not saying people don't play instruments anymore. They do, obviously, certain bands. But um, we came into an era where in instruments didn't matter anymore. 
Um, you, you could have a laptop, you could modulate your voice, the, the error of the modulation of the voice came, mm-hmm. um, where you, you didn't really, and you, in fact, you didn't even know, have to really be able to sing. Um, so um, that in itself uh, came about. And, and for those people who have kind of stood the test of time, who are kind of still making music, um, you know, maybe not all their songs are good and maybe they, they weren't what they once were, but, um, you know, they're, they're still putting out music, um, because, you know, again, they're still writing songs. Uh, those that still, those that have written their own music and, and those that can play their own instruments, they're still doing that. So some of these yeah. people, they, some of the artists, they, they don't write their songs. They don't, you know, again, we talk about the, we, we've talked about the music industry and, you know, I think of it like some some of the some of the boy bands that when the boy band eras came along and you know hey we're putting together this band they're good at entertaining dancing we'll get the songs to write for you et cetera et cetera and you go from there so see and I think that there's a big difference there um, there's the musician the artist um, somebody like Prince you know that sure um, can sing, can write, can play multiple instruments, produces for other people. And then there are those, uh, the boy bands, the Britney Spears, the, you know, the people like Mm -hmm. that. Those are performers. They're not musicians. They're not artists. They perform things that other people write and produce for them. To me, there's Mm -hmm. a huge difference there. No, I totally agree. Um, So I think as far as like, cultural influence um, from Prince, I think, to me, I think the biggest thing is that he really challenged and he changed people's perspectives on gender and sexuality. I know that you talked about that a lot, John. Um, I just remember, I remember thinking about him and, and the way that he carried himself. There was something very feminine about the way that he dressed, but he also came across as super masculine. Um, I think Prince could probably wear a blouse better than any woman could. (laughs) And, uh, you know, he completely owned it. He owned it and nobody questioned it. It was just like, okay, that's, that's Prince. And that, that's what he does. I mean, that's his thing. Um, Nobody made fun of him. I mean, that's, that's, that's what we identified with Prince is, you know, his, his uh, flowy shirts, the little poet shirts that he always wore, the little high heels that he wore. And it was like completely normal. Nobody thought, um, you know, anything oh, yeah. of it. Those boots and those yeah. boots, those high boots, man, those are great. Yeah. And I think, yeah. I think what, what the two of you have also said is as an artist, any great artist is going to have you as the audience, as the listener, as the viewer. It's going to make you confront preconceived notions and biases that you may have. You know, you may go on thinking, well, this is hyper-masculine, this is straight, that's gay, and uh, this is how the world works. And then an artist can come along and really make you challenge yourself and say, well, is that okay? Is this right? Is this wrong? Is, you know, it make you take a, a deep, you know, look inside and say, well, how can I like this? But I can also be, you know, prejudiced, or uh, I can be uh, cruel about other other aspects. And it's like, well, no, it's silly. You can't have like a double standard. So either it's all cool and it's all good and it's all well-meaning, or it's not, right? Mm-hmm. And so an artist like Prince, I think, really challenges a person whether it's you know their musical, you know, what they care about pop music, what they care about gender fluidity and identity and you know, is this okay? Can I do this? Well, you see someone like Prince, a titanic figure, and you're like, well, I guess that's okay. I guess this is cool. And you're like, cool, right? Like, that's the first door that you have to knock down, that you have to walk through. And like, oh, you know, I could be more comfortable being who I am because somebody else, you know, has, has kind of, you know, taken a huge leap, but we can all kind of take these smaller steps uh, to becoming maybe the truer versions of ourselves. Yeah, I mean, it was almost like he was giving us permission to think outside of the box and and be okay with it. Like, who cares what people think? Just be yourself and own it, and and everybody's going to love you for it. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think I think even friends back then. I mean, there was you know friends that I knew that um, were kind of dressing like him. You know, they would dress up. 
um, just just fashionable, stylish, the same thing. They're, and they look good. It's just that, again, everything during a certain time, you know, and obviously we don't think the same way now. We're, we're a little bit different now, obviously, being 2020. But, you know, going back to, you know, 1984, even, let's say, 1990, you know, it's still these things were were looked down upon and frowned upon. But, you know, for those who kind of came out, not came out, but like just wanted to be themselves, you know, mm-hmm. and just like, hey, this is who I am. This, I don't care what you, you know, you're going to call me gay or whatever. This, I don't really, you know, it didn't really bother them, you know, and they just, yeah. they just did, they just were who they were. Um, but I also think c- coming forward, it, you know, with him culturally, it kind of made things a little bit um, easier in the sense that if you were to, if you were to say, well, is he gay or straight? Is he with a man or woman? And he, and it would be perfectly almost acceptable saying, well, he probably was with both. And nobody would ever bat an eye about that, you know, because it's like, well, it's just Prince, you know? And so, you know, paving a way for, for certain people to be, who they are it's like hey this guy is just doing his thing you know he's on stage you're taking his shirt off and like you said in his boots and you know he's, he's he's got gold pants on he's just he's just being him and uh i think that was a comfort for actually for a lot of people and i mm-hmm. and, you know they secretly talked to to be quite honest with you um speaking of taking his shirt i, I still remember this it was kind of in the early eighties where he, you know, I, 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 he did this thing where James Brown was having some benefit and he, he got on stage um, and he sh- basically shred the guitar and then he, and then he started dancing like James Brown. He took off, he took his shirt off and kind of mi- started mimicking James Brown's, uh, his moves, moves his, yeah. his, his foot movement. And he was like incredible with the, with the mic, how James Brown's always does it. And, mm-hmm. um, I think I'm reading reading certain things are like, well, if if the if the torch wasn't, you know, patched past at that moment, you know, literally passed at the moment with, you know, then it was conscientiously passed at that moment at that time because he basically did the same thing James Brown did, but but kind of better, you know, and shredded the guitar. So. <laughs> I think I think what are what are kind of interesting too is when I, you know, in leading up to this show, I was reading about just articles like people's memories of Prince, and I was reading this. Uh, Amir Questlove Thompson writing about Prince as being one of the 100 greatest icons of rock and roll for Rolling Stone. I think this came out, oh, 2004, 2005. And I like to read it, you know, every couple of years just to refresh my memory. And one of the things I've noticed now that I've never really noticed before was that Questlove said, you know, in 96, I got the opportunity to play with Prince and like, and to drum and to do it. And he goes, the thing that got me just kind of turned my head around was that he was just a perfectly like normal straight up dude like hey what's up yeah you excited oh that'd be cool yeah and i feel like you get a lot of these you know for being so mysterious and for cultivating such a a, a persona right when people say oh i actually talk to Prince, yeah it's cool as fuck <laughs> we talk about <laughs> basketball we talk about you know football or whatever and i i laugh and i, I remind my wife uh who's from northern iowa so she's kind of like minnesota adjacent Right. So anything that happens in Minneapolis, they have a lot of pride about. Uh, we did talk about maybe going to Paisley Park sometime and going to visit. Uh, but oh, one of the things yeah. I remember, nice. I'm sure, Johnny, you you remember is when nice. Prince made that song for the uh, the Vikings, like their playoff push oh. about 10, yes. 15 years ago. You remember mm-hmm. that? It was like the purple Vikings yeah. are dancing along. And it's like yeah, it was weird. But you're like, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't he like the Vikings? Like, why wouldn't he like football? You know, he just was. He just, that's what he, like, so there's these equal parts of, like, ethereal godhood and regular dude, which I love. That's right. Well, if you ever go to visit Paisley Park, you, you must go, you and your wife must go to Lake Minnetonka and purify your soul yeah. in yes. the water. <laughs> and you got to eat some pancakes. You eat some yeah, pancakes, so. too. Actually, <laughs> I heard, actually. Maserati make me some pancakes. Actually, I, I, I actually. I can't remember what interview it was. Um, I don't know if it was. Uh, I, I don't know who who was on at the time, but they were interviewing him, and it wasn't pancakes because they asked him, "Do you, can you make anything?" He said he could make an omelet. You know, it was it was eggs that he could make. Oh. Uh, and now I'll, I'll try and find who it was. Um, but 
I don't know if it was I don't want to say Arsenio Hall or anything like that, but he did say at the time he he, he could make a because and I don't think it was him because I think the pancakes thing had already come out and there was an interview that he did and he was saying no I, I can make omelets but um, he was very uh, you know and I, I, and as far as you know what you were saying about him being kind of like very just low key just a normal person I, I can see that I mean I can see a lot of these these musicians who are um, you know, when they're two totally different people on stage and off stage, mm-hmm. you know, like sure. you said, like, like when you saw him in interviews, he was kind of quiet and, you know, he, he, he probably got better. He was the same person. He had always always had that smile, that smirk, those eyes, Yeah. you know, not very extremely talkative, but, but when he got on stage and he flipped the switch and he became who, who he really is, it's just like, this is greatness. You know, it's just like, man, this is like, you know, off the charts, you know, and, 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 and you see a lot of artists, you can, they are like that, you know, off camera or off the stage, they're like kind of introverted to themselves, mm-hmm. but on stage, they're just like, you know, and they, come alive. Some, they come alive. Which yeah. to believe you're like, wait a minute, this person is like this off stage. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're completely different off stage than they are on stage. You know, you know, they, but they truly, they truly kind of beat. Some of them beat to, you know, you've heard that they beat to a different drummer. They, yeah. they really do. You know. I think too. So, uh, as a as a Prince fan, as we're all Prince fans, I think about this one stand-up that uh, Kevin Smith did, and he tells the story about all, let's say, you know, two thousands that Prince gave him a call and said, "Hey, I want you to do a movie about me, like a documentary." And he goes, "Are you serious?" And the whole the whole aspect was like, he goes, yeah. So Kevin Smith talks about going to uh, Paisley Park and kind of getting this access to Prince. And Prince was just still doing his thing, whether it was making records or producing and stuff. But Kevin Smith was supposed to make a documentary. I don't think it ever happened. But the one thing that Kevin Smith said that I think that we're all appreciative of is he said that, he goes, I look behind the vault and there are albums and tapes and yeah. music videos mm-hmm. and all kinds of unreleased material that Prince was like, yeah, I, that's what I've been working on. I just haven't released it yet. And I think now that that since it's been about four years since he passed away, you know, in the past year, we got an awesome, uh, an awesome demo cut of Nothing Compares to You, right? So now that his family has has access to it, we'll probably start to see maybe some of this music, this unreleased albums coming out every couple of years that we can look forward to. Yeah, I mean, you're you're already seeing all, as soon as he passed away, like, everything was on YouTube, everything was on Spotify, so I'm sure that's that's the next thing to come. Yeah, no doubt. Can't wait. I, I, I'd heard a long time ago that he had had, uh, you know, music um, in a vault. I mean, this was way back when, like, I don't know, sometime in life, that he had had music in a vault, and, you know, there's just tons and stuff that he had never released, you know, that, that he had just writes. And I just remember thinking, because I remember having a, a conversation with a friend of mine. I'm like, you know, I, I don't know to a certain extent. Um, I never knew if it was a, a, a curse or a, a curse or a, a blessing, a blessing to be, to live in song. You're, you, mm-hmm. you know, to, you wake up, you're constantly in song. You, you go to sleep. Everything about you is is in song and uh you know uh lg color lg lisa gillespie you know i'm talking about she you know she she always tells me the story about how she her brother uh talked to to prince uh one night after a concert they were at backstage and and i asked i said well what do you what did he what did he talk to him about i was like a tree like oh my god he says well he just talked to him really about music and uh, life, you know, things that were, things that were, that he could relate to, you know, he basically said, I, I just talked to him about what he wanted to talk about, you know, music, my music tastes, his music, and, and then life in general, and says, and things that, you know, he wanted to talk about, but again, very kind of low-key, easy to talk to, different, you know. He was um, just a regular di- guy. Di- just a regular guy than, than the guy that you see on stage, so yeah. 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 That's, well... I feel like we've talked about an hour, but we barely scratched the surface. Of, yeah, of there's just here. there's so much yeah. that we could talk about that we haven't covered. But but I want to I want to end this here with uh, just 
any last remaining thoughts? I'll shoot with uh, Tess MTV. Um, well, um, I just want to say that I, I love Prince. Like I said at the very beginning of this, he's always been a presence in my life. He's just always been there. Music has been a very um, instrumental thing in my life, and Prince is definitely part um, of that soundtrack of my life. And I'll never forget the day that, um, you know, we, we all found out that he passed away, um, you know, today, four years ago, 2016. And it was, you know, a few months right after David Bowie died. So it was... Um, uh, quite a year that year. We we lost a lot of important people, and I'll I'll just never forget that. And and he he plays a prominent role in my life, and I listen to him quite often, and and even more so today. You know, as I as I was preparing for our podcast day, and just remembering, you know, you know his life and his music, and and it's it's never going to go away for me. Johnny Wolf, yeah. So. You know, again, um, you know, growing up and seeing him, like I said, when he was, you know, like 19 or whatever, you know, I think he even lied about his age. Um, we <laughs> at first, you know, anyway, but growing up and seeing him on American Bandstand when, you know, back in the day when, you know, when we only had three major networks, Fox wasn't even around. In fact, cable, cable hadn't even come around yet. Uh, that would have been like 82 when, when it first launched you know, when the first, when we first got going with MTV, 81, 82, when it first started going. But I think, you know, um, you know, from there, he, he never disappointed. And he was, and if you ever saw him concert, he was, you know, he was the artist, he was a musician and he would play every instrument and he would give you your money's worth. Mm -hmm. um, and there, and there are those people that, you know, they, they stand the test of time. You, and you can talk about certain bands, you know, going back to the 60s, everything, you know, certain certain bands that came along, they made this sound. Um, I, I was listening to a podcast, you know, uh, um, or, you know that you you guys had made and, and one of Adam's albums was Who. And, uh, you know, the Baba O'Reilly, the song that that that's there's certain sounds are like, wow, man, that is for the 60s. You're like, how do they make that sound? It's queer. But these are bands. And. More to the point, there there are certain people that will always be iconic, and they're they're ahead of their time, and they will always be ahead of time. And one of them was David Bowie. Um, he was just you know because David Bowie, he he changed, he, he, and y'all have talked about him. Even in the eighties, he was he was promoting like why don't we have why don't we have more black artists? Why don't we have more of this? Um, and he so he until the end again he was one of those guys that was like out of the world. But and and this is another one. And so when they died, shortly, you know, within the time space, it was, it was sad. I mean, you know, they talk about the day the music died, you know, when, uh, you know, Richie Valens and, you know, the and big uh, the Big Bopper, you Buddy know, Holly. Buddy Holly. I mean, that year was the year the music died in, in for me because, you know, the world, they, they don't come along very often. And from yeah. the minute you saw them, you you could tell greatness and and they always were great and so and some and people came and people come and go artists come and go and they fade um but those that remain and those that are few they they you know when they're gone they're gone and it hurts because the music dies and it dies forever i mean we can listen to it but you can never see them perform again so that's what's that's what's sad yeah. i hope everybody takes part though tonight they're doing a tribute you know obviously it's, it'll be a well-done tribute from what I hear. So, um, you know, um, I don't know. I hope it's good. But, I mean, there's a tribute for him tonight. So I hope everybody kind of tunes into that. That should be. Yeah. yeah 8 o'clock on uh, CBS, I think. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's what uh, Tess MTV told us. Well, uh, I'm going to wrap up this show here. I first want to thank uh, Johnny Wolf for being a, a guest with us today. I hope you had fun. Um, I did. Thank I you for personally. inviting me. Well, of course, of course. I personally, this was really just a ruse, just a setup to have two of my uh, closest friends who I adore and I respect their music opinion. I'm just sitting back. I'm just listening to everything and really reeling it in. And I hope you as a, as a listener, uh, you know, have enjoyed that too. Again, this is just some of the, the wonderful 
uh, talks we get to have. Hopefully, you know, if you kind of like Prince, check out some of the songs that and albums that we talked about here and touched on here. Um, just let us know. Again, this is Not So High Fidelity. We're on iTunes now. We're on Spotify. So go ahead and uh, uh, like us and leave us a little rating. I saw that there were two five ratings for this podcast. Uh, each of them done by yours truly, Adam Danger. So you know, join me in the fun and uh, and liking and uh, leaving a nice little comment for us here. Uh, aside from that, go ahead and if you want to go ahead and take a listen to Take It a Blitz. It's more about football and fun. I think we're gonna do a show Thursday night after the draft just to do a draft react show, as well as uh, the Fab Five with uh, my buddy uh, Beetle Ed. Which is, uh, which is a lot of fun. But you guys, I had a lot of fun today recording. Uh, we'll put this up pretty soon. And, uh, and I really appreciate you guys. You guys have a good evening. You too. Thanks for inviting. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.